We're going to turn to to 1 Kings and chapter 18. And um, I'm over halfway through a series on Elijah. So I hope you're enjoying this. I had an email from somebody in Australia last week just saying they're they're hearing the podcast. And I'm thinking, wow, people are listening all over the place. And um, they said, just to say, this is absolutely changing my life. So um, I hope it's changing your life. You don't have to travel from Australia. You just have to come through the wind and the the rain on a a blustery Sunday morning in London. Um, So here we are. We're over halfway through the series, but we're getting into some of the most amazing, amazing stuff that really happens in the whole Bible. Uh, can be found here. You know, Elijah was a man of first. He was the first person to see anybody raised from the dead. The first one, absolutely. I mean, fancy being the first. The first one hasn't been done before. Let's try that. Now, I know Abraham, he believed God for the first one to be raised from the dead, but he didn't get to see it because God stopped it and the guy didn't die and he didn't have to be raised from the dead. But he was going to be, he, Isaac was going to be raised from the dead that day. But Elijah was the first one to actually physically see somebody raised from the dead. And, um, You know, just the most amazing, amazing things going on. And here we are, we're in 1 Kings 18, and it says this, and he answered, these scriptures will come up on the the screen here, and he answered, he said, I've not troubled Israel. This is Elijah speaking to Ahab. Ahab was a bad king with a terrible wife, all right? this This is just as bad as it can get, all right? He was a bad man, but his wife was absolutely demonic. In a couple of weeks' time, we're going to be talking about his wife, Jezebel, and how to overcome the Jezebels in your life. All right? Come on, guys. I'm not talking about your wife right now. All right? No, don't go there. Life is not worth living. All right? If you start saying... Woman, you need to be in church in two weeks' time. (laughs) No, don't be saying that. (laughs) But um, here he is talking to Ahab. There's been no rain for three and a half years. Elijah had prayed and he said, it's not going to rain till I say so. And then God says, go and present yourself to Ahab because rain's coming. So he comes and presents himself to Ahab and Ahab comes out and he says, is that you, Elijah, you troubler of Israel? And that's where we pick it up. And Elijah answered and said, I've not troubled Israel. You have and your father's house have in that you've forsaken the commandments of the Lord and you followed the Baals. Now, therefore, send and gather all of Israel to me at Mount Carmel, the 450... prophets of Baal and the 400 prophets of Asherah, that's 850 prophets who eat at Jezebel's table. That's a big dinner. We fed a couple of hundred last night. I mean, they're feeding 850 regularly here, getting together to do their demonic stuff. So Ahab sent for all the children of Israel. Isn't it amazing that he just did it? Isn't that amazing? So here he is, hating Elijah, and he wants him dead. Elijah turns up and says, gather everybody to me. And Ahab sort of says, yes, sir. Don't underestimate your influence. Even if somebody you think is is not on your side, when God's on your side, you are more than enough in every situation. 
You can walk straight in and say, this is how it's going to be. And even if you think everyone's going to react against you and go, no, and perhaps you're going into a business meeting and you think everyone's against you. No, you can walk in there with the confidence and say, this is how it's going to be. And everybody will find themselves agreeing because you're sent by God. Hello? Don't underestimate. Don't think you're standing on your own. You're not. You and God are a majority. In every situation, in any situation, you and God are a majority. Just make sure you keep in step with him. Make sure you go where he goes and you say what he says and you do what he wants you to do. Amen? Amen. Come on, I'm preaching well. This voice is good stuff. Man alive. So Ahab just did it. And he sent for all the children of Israel. He gathered all the prophets on Mount Carmel. And Elijah came to all the people and said, How long will you falter between two opinions? How long are you going to be double-minded? It says in the New Testament that somebody who is, who is, you know, faltering between two opinions, or oh, I don't know if I do this or do that. You know, the Bible says they're unstable in everything. They're unstable in everything. I really believe God, by his spirit, wants to bring clarity into people's lives. He'll just go, no, I know which one. I know I'm supposed to be doing that. Then you just do it. You just settle it once and for all. I'm not going to keep... Me and my foot into, am I a Christian or am I not a Christian? Am I, am I going to do it God's way or am I going to do it my way? Am I going to do what everybody else does or am I going to be the one that stands out and makes a difference? And, and come on, settle it once and for all. How long will you falter between two opinions? If the Lord is God, follow him. If it's Baal, then follow him. But at least make a decision. Make a decision. Look at someone say, make a decision. Okay. <laughs> but the people answered him not a word. Have you ever been asked sort of a trick question? I do it a lot in the church. How many people think this? And people sit there and go, mm, I'm not saying anything in case I'm wrong. <laughs> I'm not saying anything in case I get it wrong. You know what? And that was these people. I'm not saying anything. <laughs> I'm not going to say a word here because I just don't know what I'm doing. The people answered him not a word. So Elijah said to the people, I alone am left of the prophets of the Lord. But Baal's prophets are 450 men. Therefore, let them get two bowls and let them choose one bowl for themselves and they, they cut it up and put it on the wood and put fire, sorry, but put no fire under it. And I will prepare the other bowl and I will put it on the wood and I will put no fire under it. Then you call on the name of your gods don't you love his attitude here? It's just amazing. I'll call on the name of the Lord and the God who answers by fire, he is God. Today I want to speak on let the fire fall. I'm excited about this. The God who answers by fire, he is God. Never be ashamed to stand up for who you believe God is. Let the God who answers by fire, he is God. I love this. I will call on the name of the Lord. We've sung all morning about the power in the name of Jesus. So all the people answered and said, yeah, that's a good idea. It's well spoken. We'll try that. Now Elijah said to the prophets of Baal, you choose one bull for yourselves, prepare it first. 
For you are so many, and you call on the name of your God, but put no fire under it. So they took the bull which was given to them, and they prepared it. And they called on the name of Baal from morning until noon, saying, O Baal, hear us. But there was no voice. No one answered. So they leaped about on the altar that they had made. And so it was at noon, Elijah started to make fun of them. He mocked them and said, Come on, shout louder. Perhaps he's God, perhaps he's deaf. Either he's, perhaps he's asleep somewhere. Perhaps he's heavily thinking. Or perhaps he's busy. That actually says, that's a very polite British translation. That actually says, perhaps he's in the toilet. That's what it says. Perhaps he's gone to the, the bathroom. Perhaps, he's, perhaps he had a curry last night. Perhaps he's on a journey. Perhaps he's sleeping and must be woken up. And they cried louder. and they started to cut themselves as was their custom with knives and lances until the blush gushed out on them when they got into the afternoon they prophesied until the time of the offering of the evening sacrifice but there was no voice no one answered no one paid attention then Elijah said to all the people okay we've had enough of this I think I've proved my point. Come near to me. So the people came near to him and he, and he repaired the altar of the Lord which had been broken down. And Elijah took 12 stones according to the number of the tribes of the sons of Jacob for whom the word of the Lord had come saying, Israel shall be your name. Then with the stones he built an altar in the name of the Lord and he made a trench around the altar large enough to hold lots of seed. And he put wood in order, he cut the bull in pieces, he put it on the wood and he said, fill four pots of water and pour it on the burnt sacrifice, this is, this is before it was burnt, pour it all over the bull and on the wood, soak it. So they did that. Then he said, do it a second time. They did it a second time. Then he said, do it a third time. They did it a third time. So the water ran all around the altar and he filled the trench with water, absolutely saturated the whole place. And it came to pass at the time of the evening sacrifice that Elijah the prophet came near and said, Lord God of Abraham, Isaac, and Israel, let it be known this day that you are God in Israel and I am your servant and that I have done these things according to your word. Hear me, O Lord, hear me, that this people may know that you are the Lord God and that you have turned their hearts back to you again. Then the fire of the Lord fell and consumed the burnt sacrifice and the wood and the stones and the dust and it licked up the water that was in the trench Now when all the people saw it, they fell on their knees and they said, The Lord, He is God. The Lord, He is God. What an amazing passage of Scripture. Why don't we give God praise right now? Absolutely phenomenal. Thank you, Lord. What an amazing, amazing move of God's Spirit. I know we've all seen the effects of massive wildfires. We've seen the fires moving so fast and engulfing everything in their path. And we've seen some incredible, horrendous, horrendous destruction, especially over these last few months. Fires that can move faster than a man can run in any sustained distance. A person can run. Fires that will leap over obstacles. Fires that you can't hold back. 
fires that have a life of their own. May I suggest today that we need the fire of God like never before in our generation. That can't be held back. That can't be stopped. That can't be contained. The fire of God in the lives of people in the, and in the life of the church of Jesus Christ. As I've been thinking about this, you know, the offering this morning, what a phenomenal offering that was and, and just how I was reminded even in that 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 isn't it easy for people who have known God to just become complacent? For churches to become so successful that there's no need of God anymore. Because we have such great programs and great praise and worship and great environment and great buildings and great people and great teams and great kids workers and great, you know, great band playing and, and, great, and great facilities. Why would you need God when you can do it all yourself? I know that's not the heart here in Citygate Church. Our story begins today with the greatest showdown in the Bible, perhaps other than Resurrection Day, obviously other than Resurrection Day, but the greatest confrontation, the greatest showdown, the greatest facing of facts, the greatest drawing the line in the sand, saying if God is God, then go for it. Be wholehearted. Don't play with this thing. If God is God, then live like it. If God is God, then pray like it. If God is God, then serve like it. If God is God, then praise like it. If God is God, then love other people like he's God. If God is God, then lay hands on the sick and let's see some recover. If God is God, then let's step out and go the second mile and the third mile. If God is God, let's Let's let broadcast the gospel from the mountaintops and from the rooftops that Jesus is Lord of Lords and King of Kings, that our God is good. And that he has a plan and a love for people. If God is God, let the fire fall and let the church arise and let a generation be swept into revival. If God is God. I want to ask some questions this morning and perhaps make a few points and the first thing I want to ask and it's probably the most the most uh, challenging thing of this morning and today is not a day of challenge today's a day of encouragement but the first point that I I can't read this passage and and not address this is this who is your source who is your source who is your supply where do you go when the pressure's on What's your first thought when you're under attack? What do you rely upon in your everyday life? Who is your source? The people of God had started to, de- to depend on Baal, and Baal was the rain god. That's who he was, the god of weather, lord of weather, small g, small l. He's not a god. He was the rain god. If you don't understand that, then this whole thing of the drought doesn't make sense. Why would God bring a drought? See, God's just doing bad things. No, God was absolutely putting to public display and public shame that Baal is not God, that there's only one God and he is the Lord most high, the maker of heaven and earth. He's certainly not the rain God, Baal. Baal was the Lord of the rain. Elijah called for a drought. 
He went right to the heart of the problem. And I suppose I want to say this this morning, when you start to depend on a source other than God, God has every perfect right to cut you off from that source. Ouch. Hello? (laughs) Because God will not share his glory with anybody else. God will not share his glory with anyone else. When you start to depend on a source other than God because he loves us so much, that source is not a source from the Holy Spirit and from the goodness and the love of God. It will always be a counterfeit to that which God can do and that who God is. It will always be, not even second best, it will always be the poor cousin of God Almighty. When you start to depend on a source other than God, God will sometimes allow things to change in your situation until the point comes when we allow God to change us. Things will change in our situation until we're the ones who are doing the changing. See, they were depending on Baal, the God of rain. They were worshipping him. They were depending on him. Baal is a demonic spirit. I'm not going to get into all that in the Bible. It's probably a bit heavy for a Sunday morning. But this, this is a real spirit. A real demonic presence that was bringing destruction. I mean, the stuff that people would do for Baal and for the Asherahs and for all the other demonic spirits and gods that you find, especially in the Old Testament, but they're still around today. People are still giving honour to the rain god today. It may not be the physical god of rain. It could be the god of, the god of wealth. Now, our God is the God of wealth. He's the God of prosperity and abundance. But you understand, people, people honoring finances. The Bible says you cannot serve God and money. It could be the God of family security. God's a God of family. We champion families in Citygate Church. Absolutely. But the strongest family is the family that puts Jesus Christ firmly first and in the center of the relationship of the family. Oh, you know what? I haven't got time for Christianity. I need to protect my family. Your family's going to fall apart if you don't put Jesus right in the middle of it. Hello? Hello? When we rely upon other things other than God, then God's going to come in and he's going to shake that which we rely upon. Oh God, why is this happening to me? Well, it could just be that the enemy's having a field day and he's coming in trying to mess things up. It could be that, you know, it's just life. Life happens. Storms happen. Stuff goes on. Stuff happens. You just got to overcome it, get through it. You know, go over it, not under it. You know, we know the deal. But there are some times when things happen because our eyes have been taken off what we should be looking at. And we're putting our eyes on something else. Can I hear an amen this morning? You know, as we've started this year, we started with the most amazing, amazing prayer meetings I I probably think I've ever been in. 
amazing. The presence of God, the, the love and the, and the faith that there was towards God. We firmly set our eyes on things above and not on things down here. Let's not start this year with our eyes in the right place and allow our eyes to be distracted and our attention to be taken off, off of God as we go through the weeks and the months of this year. Let's keep our eyes fixed on Him, the Bible says. Let's fix our eyes. Let's set our course. Let's run our race. Let's keep on that straight path that God has for us all the way through 2020. Can I hear an amen this morning? Okay, number two. Second point today, let's settle this now, once and for all. Let's settle this now. Let's make that decision. The God who answers by fire, he is God. Just settle it. You see what they seem to have done successfully in, in a religious tradition that is void of God is, as the Bible puts it, have a, they have a form of godliness, but they deny the power of God. They have a form of, of religiosity, and things just become traditional. And, you know, traditions, when I use that word tradition, please don't just think that which is traditional in our eyes. So perhaps, you know, the, the sort of hymn sandwich and older songs and different type of church building and, different, you know, the, the priest or the vicar dressed in different things. It's got nothing. That's not what tradition is all about. Tradition is an attitude on the inside of a person. You can be just as traditional sitting in this place today as they can be in something that we would consider to be more traditional historically. Tradition is just doing the same thing over and over again, mindlessly, without any faith, without any love, without any joy, without any fire, without any expectation, without any zeal. We can be just as traditional playing gospel music as we can be singing a 300-year-old hymn. Hello? See, tradition has to do with who we are on the inside and why we do the things <coughs> Excuse me, that we do. But I love it that here in Citygate Church, we believe that we have a God who answers by fire. We believe that our God, his arm is not short that he cannot heal. We believe that our God can do the impossible. We believe that our God will show himself strong on our behalf daily, daily, weekly, monthly. What's the fire of God all about? The fire of God really represents God himself. God is a consuming fire. These are familiar scriptures for a lot of us here today. Our God is a consuming fire. He's a fire from the waist up and a fire from the waist down. Jesus, his eyes are like a flame of fire. In Habakkuk, we see Jesus, we see the Lord, and he's exalted and it says out of his hands come shafts of lightning. That's where his power is hidden. There's something about the fire of God and the power of God that we have got to just get absolutely determined. The God who answers by fire, he is God. The Bible calls the Holy Spirit the spirit of, the spirit of fire, the spirit of flame, the spirit of burning. Fire is a symbol in the Bible of accepted worship and sacrifice. You find it a number of times in the Bible where, where people honor God 
and fire turns up. And it's as if God is saying, thank you. He's saying, yes. It's a sign of that which we've offered is accepted. There's that horrendous part in the Bible where Eli hears that the glory of God has left the temple. He's told that his two sons, which have gone right off the rails, all sorts of stuff going on and absolute mess and Ichabod and all the rest of it. And this is not Citygate's story, but it's just the thing. You know, and there's Eli. And he's so grieved. That, you know, the fire's gone. The, le- the glory of God has left. And he says he's so shocked he falls off his chair, he breaks his neck and he dies. And he's like, wow, that's a, wow. He's so grieved on the inside that life was going on without the glory of God. And people didn't even notice. Fire is a sign. It's a, it's a demonstration of the presence of God. Spurgeon said this. Either put some fire in the sermon or burn your sermon in the fire. That's one of the most powerful, powerful quotes I believe there can be about about the honour of being able to preach the word of God. Either be on fire with the word of God or just put it in the bin and forget about it. Put some fire in the sermon. Put some fire in your worship. Put some fire in your prayer life. Put some fire in your love for people. Put some fire in your giving. Put some fire in your small group. Put some fire in your youth group. Put some fire on your your connect team. Put some fire in it. Put some fire in your marriage. In every way. (laughs) Good preaching. Thank you very much. I've been married 33 years. I know what I'm talking about. We need the fire of God. When our programs replace our passion for God, it's time for the fire to fall. When praise and worship just becomes a mechanical show or a spectator sport, it's time for the fire to fall. When Christians are lukewarm and it's not a problem, it's time for the fire to fall. When immorality becomes the accepted norm, it's time for the fire to fall. When prayer becomes a chore or just an afterthought, it's time for the fire to fall. When compromise is a justified way of life, it's time for the fire to fall. When you put your gift on the shelf, The gift of who you are for people. It's time for the fire to fall. When the preached word of God leaves you cold and unaffected. It's time for the fire to fall. Lord let the fire of God fall in City Gate Church. And in the city of London. And in our government. And in our nation. And in our world. And in our community. And in our schools. And in our authorities. God let your fire fall throughout 2020. Let the fire of God burn through this generation. Let the fire of God fall. Point number three. God will show himself strong. 
I asked myself the question a number of times, how desperate am I for the fire of God? How desperate are we? Today, this is not a corrective word. Not in any way. I've already said I couldn't be happier in this church. I mean, seriously, it's just like, wow. But he who stands, take heed, lest he fall. When everything's going well, it's when you've got to make sure you're on fire. When things are good. You see, when things are bad, what often happens is there's a desperation. When things are falling apart, that's when atheists pray. Yeah? God! First time they've talked to him in 10 years and expect him to do something amazing. It's like somebody getting on the phone to me I've not spoken to for 20 years. Can't be bothered. I've sent so many letters, so many emails, so I'll never get a reply back. Then get a phone call. Oh, you know what? I'm in trouble. Can you help me out? It's like, really? Now, God's a God of love. He will move in his authority and in his power. But let's not be people who live in a desperation when everything's gone wrong. Let's just live in a desperation full, full stop. That God, I need you in my life. God, I want your fire to burn in my life. Even, even when I think I'm on fire. God, stir the fire. Stoke the fires. How desperate are we for the fire of God? I think it's amazing what Elijah did as the band comes up. They took the most precious possession and they poured it out on that which they wanted God to ignite. No water for three and a half years and then they got the most precious thing and they poured it out. They poured it out on the sacrifice, on the wood and around the trench. They poured it out. David said, I will not give to God something which cost me nothing. Not going to do it. I want this to mean something to me. We've demonstrated that. This is not a, in any way trying to stir anything in the church. You understand where I'm coming from. But they did something that meant they didn't want fake fire. They didn't want fake fire. They didn't want anything to in any way undermine the fact this is the fire of God. They drenched this thing. If it's going to burn, it's going to be God. If it's going to burn, it's going to be God. I don't want the fire of personality. I don't want the fire of ability. You getting anything out of this today? I don't want the fire of ego or man's effort. I want the fire that comes from God alone. What's it going to take? The more wet the wood, the greater the miracle. Sometimes we put God in this little room to operate that we give him the easy stuff. We give him the easy stuff. I believe we serve a God who wants to do that which only God can do. I love our praise reports. I love our, our weekly basis. 
people praising God for this and praising God for that and praising God. And so many times, time and time and time again, we're giving God glory for doing something that only God can do. I also give God the praise for stuff that doesn't happen that was going to happen that we don't know anything about. The things he's protected us from. I have no idea the car crashes or the whatever that I've been protected from. Just because the angel of God and the presence of God has gone ahead of me. The fire of God, the Bible says the fire of God, the fire of God goes before us and burns up all our enemies. We get there and we don't know what's happened, but we're just walking. We don't know the battles that have gone on before us just because the God who answers by fire has gone ahead of us and made a way where there is no way and He's sorted things out even before we've got there. And you know why He does that? It's because He will only allow you to go through stuff that you're bigger than it. So anything that's ahead of you that that you're not quite there yet, that you're not quite strong enough for yet, you'll burn it up and get it out of the way even before you get there. Come on, I'm getting excited about this this morning. Let's let go of the good to get hold of God's best. I want to ask us the question as we start the close today. What happens when the fire falls? What happens when the fire falls? Well, Firstly, very clear from the Bible, Genesis to Revelation, when the fire falls, people are convicted. People are convicted. I don't know how many times I've had this conversation with people recently. We can't convict anybody. When I use that word convict, it's a Bible word. I'm not talking about being convicted in a court of law. I'm talking about the conviction of the Holy Spirit that says, I need God. I'm a sinner. Now today, if you're a Christian, you're not a sinner. You were a sinner, you're now a saint. But that, that is a noun. To be a sinner is a noun. It's a name of a person who's not yet accepted Jesus Christ. We all sin. We all get it wrong. But the conviction of the Holy Spirit that comes in and says, come on, you got to clean it up. Or come on, you got to do this. Or you got to go there. Or you got to stop this. Or you got to stop that. And I, you know, I sometimes fear that, that the God of conviction is being comfortably left out of the church. Oh no, don't condemn me. Tell me to read my Bible. No, we're not condemning you. We say, read your Bible. Oh no, you're making me feel bad. Don't bring that on me. When I read my Bible, I find out that the Holy Spirit's the spirit of conviction. We can't convict anybody. Neither can we change anybody on the inside by being their friend. Hello? Is this all right? We can only dream to bring people into the presence of God for them to experience His fire. When the fire fell, these people acknowledged God. They'd been in a backslidden state. They fell on their knees. They fell on their faces and said, The Lord, He is God. The Lord, He is God. 
In Acts chapter 2, the people were cut to the heart when the fire fell. I think we need to be careful sometimes that we're trying so much to make everybody so comfortable that it's easy to forget that salvation is supernatural. Not just the work of a clever sermon, skilled band or creative media team. Jesus said you must be born again. You must be born again. Thank God we have a shield of faith to quench every fiery dart of the enemy. But that shield of faith lets every word of the conviction of the Holy Spirit through. Do you get that one? We cannot achieve salvation in the lives of people head to head. It takes the Holy Spirit, it takes the fire of God to reveal into a person's heart their need for salvation. I've been asked so many times, you know, you've been saved now for, since 1984, October the 8th, 1984, about 9.30 at night, I gave my life to Christ. Now, some people can't put a time and a day in it. Not a problem at all. It's not about, I can label that moment. If you've been raised in a great Christian household, it should just be a journey where you just, I've just always believed this stuff. And people say it. I know sometimes people say, oh, that's not true. When people say, I've always been a Christian. But in their mind, yeah, they've always been a Christian. They just believe it. They just walk into it. And they can't really remember a time. But I tell you this, we are all to be open to the conviction of the Holy Spirit, whether we had a moment of salvation. People say, to me why is it you walk with God how's that happened and you know you've never gone away from God well you know what on a daily basis we go in and out of obedience you, you understand what I'm saying but but you know I've never walked away from God I've never not attended church on a Sunday because I can't be bothered or something's gone wrong no because it's not about people it's about Jesus and he died on a cross for me to give me life and, and I gave him my life and when I gave him my life it wasn't on a string for me to keep pulling back and throwing out there and pulling back it was Jesus be Lord of my life come into my life make me a brand new person let your conviction come in fact his conviction came in and I knew I needed a saviour. I needed a saviour. It wasn't just a positive option. Oh, come to Jesus, he'll make you happy. Come to Jesus, he'll heal your body. Come to Jesus, he'll sort out your marriage. Come to Jesus, you'll have great kids. Come to Jesus, you'll have a good business. All those things are true, but they're not the reason for salvation. The reason for salvation is I was dead and I needed to be raised to life. I was lost, I needed to be found. And that is only the work of the Holy Spirit. It's only the work of the Holy Spirit. And that's not a heavy thing. I don't live, you know, people get this thing, the conviction of the Holy Spirit is a heavy thing. It's, it's a releasing thing. You get set free under the conviction of the Holy Spirit. Why? Because you let go of the Baals. You let go of those. I mean, he put 850 prophets to death that day. He killed a lot of them. We didn't get on to that then. It's a freeing, freeing moment. God takes a rotten sinner, works a supernatural work and give somebody a brand new life. What can wash away my sin? 
nothing but the blood of Jesus Christ. Nothing. What can make me whole again? Ah, this great program. Read this book. This great counselling course. And we, we help people get counselled and all sorts of stuff. But at the end of the day, nothing can bring the breakthrough that the Holy Spirit can bring. Some things can repair. Some things can rebuild. Only in the area of the soul and the physical body. But in the area of the spirit, nothing can work but the blood of Jesus Christ. Nothing, 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 nothing than the power of the Holy Spirit. When the fire of God falls, people get set free. When the fire of God falls, people leave sin at the altar. When the fire of God falls, attitudes get sorted out. When the fire of God falls, unforgiveness gets shown up for what it is. When the fire of God falls, the snake jumps out the fire, tries to grab the hand, but just flees. When the fire of God falls, mountains melt away. When the fire of God falls, lives clean up. When the fire of God falls, people come to watch us burn. What else happens when the fire falls? There's new growth. I watch farmers on purpose setting fire to their fields. Not in these wildfires, but just as a course. It's what they do. You can go out in the country, shout some Cornwall, and we used to go up and down there and fields would be burning. They'd burn their field. The conditions had to be absolutely right. If they get it wrong, it starts a wildfire. And every few years, they were, or every so long, I don't know how often it is, but depending on the field, what do they do? They burn the field. What does it do? It cleans the ground. It clears all the stuff that's just, you know, just grown, that shouldn't have grown. All the stuff. The weeds and the, the old stalks. Just all get burnt away. And the new growth comes through in a new way, stronger, healthier, and better than ever before. Lord, let your fire fall and you just watch the new growth that comes into Citygate Church. Clear out the overgrowth that's choking the new harvest. Lastly, what else does, happens when the fire of God falls? People are ignited. People are set ablaze. I'm reminded of the ten virgins parable in the New Testament. There were ten virgins had to keep their, their fires burning. Five kept on it, keeping the fire alive. Five were foolish. They thought, ah, oh, it doesn't matter. Nothing's happening. Jesus ain't coming back now. Just a mentality, just a casual mentality. Their fires went out because they didn't trim their wicks. They didn't keep it. They didn't pay attention to the fire. And then when the master came back and they were supposed to be there on fire and they weren't. You know, the Bible says when Jesus returns, will he find faith on the earth? I might as well say this, when Jesus returns, will he find fire in your life? And they go to the other five that were on fire and they say, hey, can you give us some of your flame? And they say, too late. <laughs> too late. See, the fire's got to be kept alive every day. 
The Bible says, fan into flame the gift of God that's on the inside of you. Fan it into flame. Put wood on the fire. Look at someone say, put wood on the fire. Come on, say it like some big song. Put wood on the fire. (laughs) Jeremiah said, the word of God in my mouth is a fire. The disciples said when they walked with Jesus, they didn't know it. And then they realised, they said, didn't our hearts burn in us? Didn't we get set on fire when we walked with Jesus? King David said he had a band of men whose hearts had been touched by the presence of God. Have I become too familiar with God that God can't touch my heart anymore? Isaiah got so stirred up, he said, God, here I am, send me. And the first thing God sent was fire into his mouth. Citygate is already a place of passion, enthusiasm, excitement. But I want to say to us this morning, let's build an altar in 2020. Let's build an altar for the fire of God to burn, for the fire of God to fall. Let's soak it with water. Let's pour out on it our most precious possessions, our time, our passion, our energy, and say, God, let the fire fall. Isn't it interesting that Elijah had to do it God's way? He had to do it God's way at the right time and in the right way. At the time of the evening sacrifice, he, didn't, he said, right, I'll do it at the right time. In the right. He repaired the order. He got the stones. He did it the way God had prescribed it. You know what? You're never going to get the fullness of God doing it your way. I'm never going to get the power of God in my life doing it the way I think it should be done. There's only one way and that's in the Word of God. I'm saying it as it is this morning. If the Bible says praise it, then we, then we praise. If it says forgive, we forgive. If it says love, we love. If it says lay hands on the sick, it's what we do. And as we do the way God says, His fire will fall and burn up everything and set us ablaze. The snakes will flee. The society will change. The passion of God will explode. Put wood on the altar. After a while, all you'll have is cold ashes. Reading the Word, praising God with a passion. Forgiving people, sharing our faith, serving others. Let's stand to our feet today as we ask God for fresh fire. Come on, let's lift our hands in this place today. We're not going to prolong the service. We're just simply going to say, Jesus, come on, God. Let your fire fall. Let your fire fall, Lord God. Let your fire touch my heart, touch my life, touch my family, touch my business, touch my job, touch my kids. Let your fire touch this place. Let your fire touch every small group, (coughs) every kids' class. Let your fire touch the youth of Citygate Church. Let your fire burn in every small group. Let your fire transform our lives, Lord God. Lord, bring in your freedom and your power and your your way. Come on, right now, we're just going to pray for the person on our left and on our right. You don't have to touch them. Come on, let's just pray for one another here today. God, let the fire fall. Let the fire touch this place. Come on, let me hear you pray this morning. God, let the fire touch each and every person here today. 
Let your fire burn in us like never before. Let this city gate church be a church on fire. Holy Spirit, we invite you to, to move again like never before. We thank you for it, Lord, in Jesus' name. And everybody said, Amen. Come on, let's give God some praises.